you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It is the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waite, Fearless Business Coach, and I've got an amazing guest today. He's been on uh, quite the journey, so I'm really uh, looking forward to getting stuck in and listening to Dean's um, story. So welcome to the podcast, Dean. Hi, Robin. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's an absolute pleasure. So Dean's been on a journey from, which is quite unusual, but he um, moved across from being an IT consultant into a gym owner. And uh, now finally, he's a, a coach, a lifestyle coach. Uh, Dean, that's quite the journey. How do you go about, you know, moving from an IT consultant to a gym owner? For me, it was a realization that it was something I could actually do. Um, I think for the longest time, uh, even when I was an IT consultant, I remember even seeing my wife, uh, you should be a personal trainer, you should be a coach. And never once thinking that I could do that, even though all I ever thought about was nutrition, was about mindset, was about training. That's all I ever read about. And it was just a realization when I was uh, I was working in a company and someone was telling us about some online program that they've been doing. And that was the penny drop. It was like, hold on, I can do this. And in fact, I remember thinking, I, I can do it better than that. That's what I thought. And that was the awareness. And it was the awareness that's the key. The fact that, I can actually do some. I can actually do this. I didn't it just before. It just never occurred to me that I could. So, how how long were you an IT consultant, and sort of how long has this kind of idea, this notion, kind of been simmering that you could kind of do something different? Then, um, I was a consultant for twelve years. I was, um, and then it was near the end. I think there's a few things as well. I, you know, because you've got that possibility of working away from home. Had a new family. My son was very young, and it just wasn't it wasn't appealing anymore. Um, and then it was just one of those things where I thought, you know, I can actually do something different. And because of that awareness, I started looking at what was possible. And as soon as you open your eyes to that and you, you, you attract that in, and all of a sudden I was seeing other people who were doing similar things at the time, uh, people who I knew, so I could then talk to them about it. And then all of a sudden you start meeting people and all of a sudden you're, you're just in that world. And that other world just seems to drift away. And would you say, like, whilst you're an IT consultant, would you say that it was, was it a happy time with things kind of going okay, but it was just, you know, you just let this thing kind of simmer away until, until you had the right time come up? Um, it was a happy time. It was what I thought I was here to do. Uh, I'd worked in IT even before that, before I became a, a, con, a, like a consultant. Uh, uh, but I think as time had gone on, as I said, I think I was getting sick of the travel. I'm getting sick of the fact that there was, was just some certainty I might be, you know, further afield working away through the week and it was just not something I was prepared to do anymore. And in terms of like, was there like an oh shit moment? I just got to, I, I fucking had enough of this. I just need to get out of it. Did, did that happen for you? Yeah, it was relatively quick actually. Um, I remember thinking, yeah, it was quite, it was just actually like that. It was, I've had enough of doing this. I'm just not enjoying it anymore. I just lost the whole passion for it. And, and and I know it was because something else had been ignited, something, you know, just like a stronger purpose. And so, one, yeah, once that happened, it was within, I don't know, six months, I think, from start to finish of that sort of pilot, like going off and thinking, wow, I can do this. And then looking at how I could do this. And then got to a point where the... The, the contractor was on was 
uh, I nearly at an end, and I just thought, okay, I'm just going to jump and fuck it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really tough decision as well especially when you've done it for 12 years and I don't know if you know much about sort of my backstory so I I did have a job for four years which um I had my own fuck moment there where the, where the, the boss of the business basically stitched me up and um wasn't paying enough me enough money I'd done a very good job of running his yeah. business for him whilst he went off to uh China on trade missions uh basically <laughs> spending 30,000 pounds on his Amex and in, in you know in the space of three weeks on Wow. women and wine and things like that. Uh, but we, we made med- medical devices. I just remember, because he wouldn't pay me any more money because he was spending it all, we had yeah. an agreement that I, would, um, uh, I, I, I was allowed to use company time and resources to set up my own business and do something yeah. on the side, provided okay. I got my job done. Yeah. He walked into the office one day, mid- midway through, as his business is kind of, you know, um, you know, not doing so great, and I was closing a deal for 30 laptops. Right. And... Um, this is my oh fuck moment where I just, um, he just said, oh, um, you're not do- using company resources again. You're not doing this. I was like, cool. Well, you've got two options. You can either pay me some more money and I'll happily do that or you can fuck off. And it was a proper sort of, you know, yeah. and before, and I literally, I said, look, I'm going to have my notice in tomorrow. That's it. And I was walking for the door and before I got to the door, he was begging me to come back. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm also thinking like in, in the reason why I'm regaling that story is I think everybody has had that moment. And I, I wonder whether you kind of had to go through that, it wasn't, doesn't sound like it was a painful process, but that process of being an IT consultant for 12 years to then have the sort of empathy and understanding now for the sorts of clients which you work with and that you help. Um, I mean, there was a bit of a transition. I actually started working in a gym. I, I was a member of a gym locally and I started taking over some other sessions. The guy who owned it was actually asking me to do it because he knew the irony of it is as much as I knew a lot about IT and computing and writing software, I knew more about training and nutrition and that kind of stuff. And he was always bugging me when I was training, when I was at the gym, ask us about this, ask us about that. And he asked us about doing this, these training sessions. And I just, I kind of think, all right, I'll, I'll give it a go. And then when you, and, then, and it just starts that snowball, you start rolling, rolling. And then the faster it gathers, the quicker the end is coming. And, that, and that's what happened really. Well, everybody just assumes that nutrition is just about food and, and managing how much is going in and, and through exercise, how man, many of these calories yeah. are kind of getting burned on the other, the other end of it. Um, but you and I, I mean, I come from an IT background myself, ran a marketing agency, I used to do web design and things like that. And so yeah. as an IT consultant, you obviously have a very logical brain, but nutrition is a, is a very mathematical process isn't it? Yeah. When you start to break it down uh, around all of the different food groups and, and yeah. um, sugars and yeah. calories in and out yeah. and, and that side of it. So there, is there an element as well of like this logical brain, which plays really nicely with kind of, you know, what you were doing in the gym and the nutrition side of things? Um, I think so. I mean, the, the reason why I'm so passionate about nutrition is because here's a curveball is we, me and my wife were told we couldn't have kids naturally. We're, to, we're trying in the early 2000s, uh, and it was my fault. The issue was all mine. There's three, you know, the sperm wasn't working. There's three elements to that that should work. There should be loads of them. Should be able to swim, and they should be perfectly formed. And you know, mine were all hunchbacks with one leg. <laughs> you know, it was like <laughs> it was, there, there, there was three of them. So that, like, you know, it was, it was all my fault. So we tried IVF and failed twice, and. After that, it was like, I'm very stubborn and I'm kind of open-minded and say, what's possible? Because if I just listened to the medics, I wouldn't have my son. He's 15 now. He, and he was conceived naturally. And he was conceived naturally because I started looking at nutrition. I started pouring over books. I was ringing nutritionists. We went to see a nutritionist who span our world upside down and roundabout. Uh, we worked with a fertility nutritionist. Um, and after that, I've got no doubt in my mind that, you know, we, Joey became pregnant, my wife became pregnant because of nutrition and health. 
And, and so I believe as much as there's a calories in, calories out thing, I really, I think it goes way deeper than that. Because well, it's not t- just tell me about it. So what, what's, um, so you're now working as a life performance life, lifestyle coach where you're helping yeah. predominantly men, but also women um, yeah. to improve their sort of lifestyle choices. Yeah. Um, where would you, so what, talk to me about sort of, so you, ha- you had this, and that's an amazing story, story as well. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so you had this reason why you wanted to kind of get stuck in. So, so how, why do you kind of engage people to start off with? What sort of problems, challenges, things like that are they coming to you with to start, start their um, journey? Well, whether, you know, the, the general public or like the or executives and companies, it's always when they have a realisation that they're eating crap, they've put weight on, and the thing is just if I just lose some weight, I'll be okay. And so that's where you meet people at because that's, that's where, because we're so influenced by the external world, and we uh, concern ourselves with what people may think of how we look, then that's where it starts. But it's never about that, ever. The thing is never the thing. It's always a deeper rooted thing. Because I always say that, you know, you're not unhappy, you're overweight, you're overweight because you're unhappy. And it's usually those, it's the, the, the food is used as a barrier to layer up, to protect themselves from some emotional pain, which they're probably not even aware of. They're not even connect the dots because there's that many layers of it. Um, so it's always starting where they're at, which is usually there. Well, a lot of people's belief systems are kind of developed by the time they're sort of um, toddlers, you know, three, yeah. I've just, everybody's going to be looking at this wondering, we're talking about health and nutrition and Gross. I've got this, this thing, you know, stuck in my mind. I've donated blood plasma for the, um, uh, for the coronavirus kind of testing, uh, which is going on at the moment. So just so everybody knows that's what that's about. But um, um, no, what I, what I was going to say was um, like a, a lot of kind of trauma and our core belief systems are developed sort of by the time we're toddlers. And I talk a lot about sort of pricing, yeah. for example, and your monetary systems, your value systems have been developed by the time you're three. And at three, yeah. you can barely add up, you, well, count to 10, you can barely add up and you don't have any concept yeah. of what value exchanges or money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing it's kind of a similar sort of story for a lot of um, sort of value systems around food and oh, uh, uh, happiness yeah, and things yeah, like yeah, that. Definitely. Between the, we're, we're most pliable and we'll learn all this stuff between the ages of 0 and 7. And that's, that's where our beliefs are then deep-rooted. And from then, as you said, then they manifest into different things and how we think and how we believe and how we see the world. Because we, you know, we see taking so much information through our senses, but we only ever get a process of 400 pieces of information and we use this worldview through our filters, you know, our eyes, our ears and all that kind of stuff based on these deep rooted beliefs. And you, you um, one of the things which you uh, talk about is emotional triggers um, yeah. that um, sort of lead to, I, I guess, negative behavior. So what, what sort of, like, let's, let's, Let's go deep and dirty. What are some of the worst sort of emotional triggers that you've seen, you know, clients experience that you've then been able to kind of start to um, not, not, you know, start to correct them and get them back on the right path? Um, God, there's lots. There's different ones. I mean, for example, this, I worked with a guy who was a skinny kid at school. He always got uh, berated, picked on, never got picked for sports. So he had that aversion to exercise for the long, longest time. But then when he was adulthood, obviously change, you know, he's wanting to be girls or, you know, whatever it is, he wants to go back to the gym. And so consciously he wants to go to the gym and get big. But as soon as he's trying to get fit, little skinny boy is saying, oh no, if you do this, then you're going to get ridiculed. You're going to get cold. People are going to laugh at you. And so we we'll always go out of way to prove our beliefs true. So even though on a conscious level, we want to get fitter and look better, unconsciously, we know what that means or so we think. And that is the emotional trigger. And so everyone thinks that you think something, then you get triggered. But it doesn't work that way. Our brain 
works in a different way. We've got three parts of the brain. The thinking part is the thing that gets switched off in any kind of stress or threat situation, including an emotional trigger. And so it's the emotion that fires first. Our brain will immediately say, that's painful, don't want to go there. And it'll play a story that has been created that will then take you away from that. And so willpower might get you so far, but that's willpower for me is always enduring something for a period of time that you don't like to do. And so that's why people fail. Um, I mean, there's another story with my son, Sam, he's 15. Um, but when he was three years old, or toddler two, three years old, our next door neighbor's dog, who was a lovely soft Labrador, came over, bowled over at him and knocked him over. But she was just trying to lick his face off. But to <laughs> him, it was a big, scary animal trying yeah. to bite him and eat him. And he, he developed a big, massive fear of, of dogs um, to the fact he wouldn't go anywhere where he thought a dog might be off a lead. Even on a leader was bad enough, so you would never go to the beach. And so what happens is, over time, you will layer a story as to why you don't like going to the sea. And if it goes on long enough, you would never remember why that was, because he was three-year-old, unless I reminded him constantly of it. And you know, most parents aren't going to even connect the dots. He would never understand why he didn't like going to the beach. And it's those emotional triggers. So he's, he then creates a story as to why he doesn't do that, because it's dangerous. There's an emotional trigger there. So I, I talk a lot about um, three stages of kind of managing fear uh, or, yeah. or fears kind of kicking in. And obviously there's a, there's a technical side of it, um, which yeah. I don't fully understand, which is about the reticular activator system, fight, flight, mm -hmm. freeze, yeah. uh, and that side of things. But on a more, on a more sort of um, foundational level, it's uh, the three stages are um, feel, think, and know. So, yeah. and they go in that order. So when you're, yeah. when you're presented with a new situation, immediately you'll, that's why they call it a gut reaction. You'll have an immediate gut reaction, which will yes. either, uh, and, that, and, and that's the physiological side of things, which shoots some chemicals off to the brain and, and triggers yeah. the RAS. So yeah. we fight, flight, freeze kicks in. But then obviously yeah. over time we then have a, you know, we can think about it so we can start to process whether that was a rational yes. reaction or not. Yeah. And obviously it's a survival mechanism, but it is. it's kind of built up over years. And yeah. one of the things which I've, I've become sort of acutely aware of is that uh, depending on like how traumatic experiences were when people were younger or even more recently, you have yeah. things like PTSD, you know, and veterans sure. and stuff like that, yeah. um, has a massive um, impact on obviously how extreme that, sort of um that push pull reaction is going to be so whether they're moving towards something or away from something yeah and um, and i just wonder whether you know um one of the one of the greatest fears i know i'm rambling a little bit here but i'll get to my point now but one of the yeah. greatest fears i see and you touched on this earlier on is the the basic um human instinct to be part of a pack and be accepted yeah. so fear Otherwise. of not being accepted yeah. i think creates one of the biggest uh, push effects like pushing people away from stuff yes towards the negative yeah. so would you say that the, uh, and this is my, my question now would you say that more successful people have a greater sort of um you know fear of how they're going to be judged than maybe what we could define as unsuccessful people um i think i don't think it depends it's about success i think it's about what we have endured when we're, you know, in our lives. You know, there's, you know, I've had blocks, for example. I was, um, just to give you a quick story, when I was three hours in the hospital for my tonsils out, and I, I had vivid images of those, those times, I still have. And, and I knew the story, my mom didn't want, to, didn't want to leave me, wanted to stay with me, couldn't go home. I remember being in the cot, crying as my mom left. I still have that image in my head. And I'd never really talked to anybody about it until three years ago. 
And I was just talking, it was a fellow coach, but I was just talking to him and like, we're talking about energy. And I actually described that, the images to him. And then I broke down and sobbed for 10 minutes. I actually had a massive, massive energy just lifted from me. And I'd known that story for a long time. I knew my mom ne never left me as an adult, but three-year-old Dean was still trapped. There was an emotional trap there from that. And I was scared of being abandoned. And, and I saw that, not so much in my IT career, but I've seen it in the gym career early on, the fact that I felt like people were going to leave me. And then I went out of, I was proven that, I went out of my way to prove that true in some, in some ways. Um, and I just never, I never connected the dots until that point, but it was such a massive thing. So I had this fear of abandonment, fear of people leaving. And so I, there was times when I actually made that happen just as easy. Told you, yeah, that was true. You, you have beliefs and you go out looking for evidence to back it up. It's no difference. Um, you yeah. know, you go and buy a new car and then straight you look around and everybody's driving the same bloody car yeah. as you. And that's yeah, not yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a similar sort of principle, but, yeah. um, but I in think a much more complex way. <laughs> I was, just to get your point, though, I think successful people uh, manage fear in a different way. I think they really yeah. do. I think they do have that, they, they find that courage, they take the little steps, they don't allow it to control everyone. I think everyone's got a unique circumstance, which is why I shared the story about the abandonment stuff. Yeah. Because I know that held me back in some ways, whereas other people might not have had that story and then move forward. It just depends on where that fear is and where the place that energy. Because one of the reasons why I asked about that is because, you know, you're talking about willpower and I, I, the way willpower is interesting. So you kind of, um, I, I see again, willpower is um, a bit bipolar because you can have somebody who's got immense willpower, you know, to get them on the track for the next Olympic games and, you know, yeah. go out and train every day for yeah. four years. That takes yeah. an enormous amount of, of, of willpower and courage and determination and drive and everything else. Yeah. But also you can have on the flip side of that is for somebody to, who is in a job, which they're not enjoying, Yes. Uh, it takes willpower to turn up and show up every day and perform and keep everybody yeah. else happy. Yeah. Um, but one has very negative sort of, you know, consequences and yeah. um, impacts, whereas the other one has very positive, you know, this guy gets a gold medal, this person gets diddly squat until they go and see a therapist yeah. and work it through. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, what, what would you say is like one of, so for this guy over here, what, what would you say is one of the first, um, how do you start to spot those emotional triggers? How, and then, and then what are your first steps that you can start to do to, um, correct it, to go on the right path? Uh, first way is just have a conversation, just see where they are first and then just get a bit of background. It's not about revisiting background so much because our brain doesn't really perceive the difference between you know, current reality and past reality. That's why, you know, if we keep revisiting past things without resolving them, you just as if you're reliving them and the same chemical cocktail comes up. So it's really about, I just like to have a conversation like we're doing now and I'll watch for any kind of reactions. So, you know, like it could be an eye roll or they look at the floor or they start scratching at their nose or there's something triggering. And I would just stop them there and then just take them through a process. Just tell me a bit more about that. What's going on there? Where are you feeling that? Because so people are so out of tune of feeling and what their intuition is telling them. Because we're too distracted by this external stuff, we don't know the subtle triggers. And once you bring awareness to it and start working on it, it's amazing what shows up. It's amazing. But until you have that awareness to what to look for, what it means, you know, certain areas of the body where we're feeling things means different things. You know, for example, if we're feeling things, I work with somebody who, um, her, her, her dad was very controlling and I said, okay, tell me about that. And she told me, it was just about how she looks. And so he's very, you know, he was condescending and all that kind of stuff. I said, where are you feeling that? 
Uh, and she said, I'm feeling here. So you felt like you weren't being hurt because that's our throat, that's yeah. our voice. And it's, and, it's, and it's very uncanny how that, that happens. Same if you feel like feel in the heart, it's more like you're feeling rejected. Um, and it's, it's, it's very subtle cues to that. And then, and then you go in and I, like, teach people how to clear that and I give them the tools to do it. Yeah. You, you talk about um, there are four elements um, that allow you know, us as human beings to thrive. Yeah. Um, what, what are those four elements? For me, health is physical health, mental health, emotional health and spiritual well-being. There's four of those and people tend to work on more, push into one area and leave the rest. Whereas, because they kind of live in absolutes where they can only do this, it's in either or. Whereas I believe it's an and. You don't have this. Yes, it takes a bit more work, but because we're conditioned to work in that manner, that it's, it's more challenging. But to have a look physically, so, you know, moving with purpose, um, nourishing our body with great food, which is the physical element. Then the mental element, you know, we are not our thoughts, but at the same time, we allow to express our thoughts. A lot of people don't do that. Emotional stuff's the massive one, especially for men. We do not express how we feel. It's a weakness. It's not a weakness, of course, because we feel massively vulnerable. As men, we've got something to, you know, we've got a role to play, which seems to be a bit more out of sorts in modern times, but that's when men bury these emotions. And so it's, you know, it's, it's, that is the biggest thing that I see for people. And the spiritual stuff is more about mindfulness. It's about creating space for yourself and knowing that by putting yourself first, you can then give more energy out to everybody else. Because if you're running ragged and you're working at 30% because you're putting everybody else first, they're only ever going to get 30% of you. But if you put yourself first and recharge yourself, and give yourself some time, then you're going to have that 100% or nigh 100%, which then, of course, everyone benefits more. You're going to be happier, for example. You give that energy out. I think there's um, something in amongst that, the spiritual side of things as well, because I, um, I talk about the ego and the id and that, you know, the generosity where uh, we're both coaches, yeah. kind of our life's purpose is about helping other people. But yeah. sometimes that, if, you're not, if you don't control that, it can come at the detriment of yourself. Yes. Um, so it's actually like well, with all of the four elements, there's like a really fine balancing act um, over making sure that you're not going through a process of self-sabotage at the expense yeah. of everybody else. Yeah. For me, it's um, if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and if people don't understand about that, there's different elements of, of um, the six needs, essentially. And the first three, well, I'd add an extra one. For the first two is survival and safety. So your body's always looking for safety, in you know, air, water, food, excretion, warmth, shelter, um, movement, sleep, all the essential items. And then from there, once we feel that's kind of the physical stuff, the next one's more the emotional side, which is the safety. Do I feel safe? Now, that can be physical. If we don't move um, because we're injured, do I feel safe? Our body locks up, which is why people go to chiropractors. And it's not always the right thing to do, but of course, right tool, right job. Yep. Um, and so... The emotional side is, you know, do I feel safe with my emotions? Is there any triggers? What's going on? You've got to go inside and feel that. These are the things that we get to resolve. Otherwise, it's like an emotional splinter. You know, when you get a splinter, it hurts like hell at first. But if you don't get it out, it kind of goes away. But if you catch it just in the right time, you haven't taken it out, it still hurts. Yeah. That's the trigger. And so it's about finding where these are, these splinters are, and then removing them. And then the other foundational need for me is the beliefs, the meanings, the stories, which is the mental side which is the thoughts and feelings and aligning, getting them aligned, you know, the things say do. Yep. When we're not out of alignment, that's when, you know, we say one thing, do something else and wonder why we're going around in circles. 
Yeah. Because we're not aligned. Now, you're you're a dangerous guy, Dean. Uh, through going through your profile, I wouldn't if I if I pissed you <laughs> off, you know, down a dark alley, I wouldn't want to take you on because you are I, I I love this. In the UK Martial Arts Hall of Fame. Talk to us about that. <laughs> yes. Um yeah, I've been in martial arts for over 30 years. I've, I've studied um, different martial arts to black belt and beyond. Uh, I'm third down in kickboxing, second down in the real combat system and other downs and other things. But for me, it's just, I'm always, I always like the idea of being a white belt, donning that white belt and learning something new. And it's scary, but it's something that I feel uh, develops me. And I've always been big in the martial arts ethos and you know the values of martial arts and um, I mean my coaching for example uh, the real combat system is actually about reality based self-defense or self-protection and I trained with a guy called Jeff Thompson who is a world authority in self-protection at the time he doesn't teach anymore um, he's a BAFTA winning author and screenwriter and all that kind of jazz as well uh, but I traveled 500 miles every month for five years to train with with Jeff wow. because I had a similar story to him, he, he, he'd get black belts, but was still scared. And I didn't understand that. I had an encounter with a bully in my late teens, which was the same thing. I was a black belt, but I was shit scared when this guy confronted me. And I had to, it took me, I think, a week to find him, but I, I, I couldn't live with myself for the fact that I felt cowardly because I like, he just came out of nowhere and I, I jumped in my car and locked the door and he was <laughs> pounding on the door. And, and like, I went home and beat myself up and I couldn't live with myself. I actually found out where he lived and went and confronted him. To his face, and he like as much as he give us all that, he, he didn't do anything because that's what bullies do. Yeah. And so when I went to chair with Jeff, it was the same thing. I was just, ah, this massive fear, and I wanted to understand about fear. And he's wrote a lot of books about fear because that was his realm. So I understand fear very well, uh, but I also understand fear wears many masks. But anyway, so the biggest concept for me was is confront fear. That's what the reality based stuff was. The real combat system was. It's about finding a truth. You know finding who you are, that essence of who you are and facing your adversity, having the courage to face yourself. And that's, that's what um, I use through my coaching. Physical self-protection is awareness, avoidance, escape, and then preemption. And I use those concepts within my coaching as well, have the awareness, avoiding things, not avoiding things because they're painful, avoid things that are not necessary. Like, you know, take, like, stepping away from things that no longer serve you have the courage to say that doesn't work for me it doesn't feel good for me i don't need to do that anymore whether as you said earlier the guy who just didn't like his job just turns up having the courage to step back and say i've enough i'm not doing that anymore yeah and i think i think i mean obviously as we know like fear is built up in the head seneca's greatest quote was imagination is, uh, things are much worse than imagination they are in reality and like we are we're blessed you and i to be living in sort of first world and our greatest first world problems you know yes there's a crisis going on but generally speaking we're all pretty safe in this in this in this you know uh, in the uk uh, in, in any first world countries and you've got people who are sort of on the plains of africa having to walk 10 miles to get water could potentially get eaten by crocodiles run over by a buffalo or you know, whatever else, you know, so we, we don't, we, we, a lot of, I, I feel in the first world, our, our fears are pretty irrational. And in, in part, that's why I call the, my program fearless business. It's about, it's not about being reckless. It's about fearing those things in business ever so slightly less that will stop you from getting out there and getting what it is that you want to achieve. Um, and I, I think there's a, there's quite a lot of alignment there and it's just all of these things which go on, you know, you talked a lot about sort of the, the mental, spiritual, emotional side of, um, 
sort of managing coping with fear and and actually that plays a much greater part than you know and you don't you don't have to it's really interesting i think that people's perceptions as well of things like martial arts for example and they see things like mma on tv and they there's this glorified going and kicking the shit out of people in there and I actually believe with, you know, I, I'm not a martial artist myself, so I don't, I'm, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Martial arts isn't about going and, you know, kicking the shit out of people. It's, it is actually all about that alignment and understanding of oneself, knowing what, what you're capable and not capable of, having that balance with physical, mental, emotional, you know, and spiritual side of things. It is, yeah, and uh, they call it like the voodoo side of martial arts where, you know, you, you go to that kind of higher level. But it's like, like Bruce Lee said, the art of fighting without fighting. It's yeah. you know you don't you don't need that, but there is there is that there is an element of people who think that's what it's about. It's as you say, it's glorified, dramatized, all that kind of stuff. But that's just it's it's kind of a weak area because that's where, where, that's kind of a primal place. Yeah. Whereas I'm interested in rising, you know, emotionally, intellectually, like taking my kind of a free, my frequency higher than that. Um, because it's it's easy to go down there. That's uh, Jeff Thompson had a great phrase. You either go in difficult, difficult, or difficult, easy. And difficult, easy was where something is challenging, but you know you can do it. So it's good, you know, you're going to endure something, you know, like you know when I did my grades with Jeff, um, that was difficult, difficult. <laughs> it was brutal. But the fact is that difficult, easy is where people spend a lot of time. Oh, I'm going to do a marathon. Yeah, but I know if you do the train, you're going to do that. Difficult, difficult is stepping into an arena where you think, shit, I have no idea if I'm going to be able to do this. And of course, that has massive fear. That has a lot of feeling. Well, that, 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 fear, that fear creates that friction, which ultimately, as we know, is what creates the growth. If you can, if yes, you can get exactly. through that and get through yeah. that friction, yeah, you're exactly. going to come out stronger on the back end of it. Always, always. And that's what the concept of difficult, difficult is, is, is the fact that you're going to do something and you're going to have to put your heart and soul in it, but you know when you come up the other side, it's like being in a forge. You know, you put your, your temper over a blade in the forge. And, that, and that, that takes a certain amount of faith as well, because, um, you know, a lot of people kind of mistake faith for being religious and whether yeah. you follow, you know, Islam or whether you're, you go to the church every Sunday or whatever it might be. But actually, yeah. when you go into that difficult, difficult arena, you've got to have faith that you're going to come out of the other side faith. of it. Yeah. With something it's having else. faith. It's yeah. all about faith. Yeah. Having faith and intention. So I have an intention, you know, it's, I've seen just another side martial arts uh, story. I've seen, bouncers on a door back away from a little man who had the intention to do some harm yeah and and it's all about having that attention and having that faith of carrying it through um, I, I i had a there's also blind faith as well which is actually quite um destructive in my eyes so i remember this is going back a while but my first house i'd spent four years building it and we just got to the end of the um sort of that the, we're moving to the exterior of it to have it re-rendered so i had scaffolding up and i remember sat sat inside my, my now wife she was my girlfriend at the time yeah. watching a film and i heard this noise out on the scaffolding i thought oh, that's a sounds like a loud big cat and i got out there and there was a guy with his his arm it's a summer like now and his arm yeah. through the window trying to open we kept all the windows locked because it was in the middle right. of town but um, yeah. trying to open it so of course i shimmy got i got my massive mag light out and started shimmying up the, the steps and he kind of backed yeah. away and i stopped and then I, I went a bit and he went a bit and then and eventually he just jumped off the edge of the scaffolding into some bushes and i you know yeah. had some scrambling and stuff it wasn't until afterwards so i had blind faith that i was i was you know instinct kicks in you want to protect your mm. your family your house things yeah. like that you've got an intruder on there instincts kicked in afterwards i thought 
what the fuck would I have actually done if I'd caught up with the guy? Because I have no skills in fighting yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, you know, and what what if he'd thrown me off or I'd thrown him off the scaffolding? And, you know, th- those scenarios don't sort of come in. But what I did know, I had the blind faith that if I've got to get up there and do something because I can't have this guy around there anymore. Yeah. And sometimes I think business owners spend too much time thinking about stuff and they don't actually yeah. trust their gut instinct, which is yeah. normally yeah. pretty powerful and, and 90% of the time it's right just yeah. to crack on and do stuff. So you yeah. must find that with your clients as well. I do. It's because, as you said, the good instinct's there, but then immediately your ego takes over because the ego wants to keep it safe. So the ego's not a bad thing. It's just programmed to do the things we told it to do. And so it's helping people like transcend the ego, if you like, and say, okay, the ego's fine, but he's just trying to just keep it safe. Let's see what he's trying to keep it safe from. And then that's when the stories start going. You know, I, I work with a guy who had a company, it's a construction company, turns over 100 million pounds a year and he came to me after the self-sovereignty course that I was working with Jeff Thompson he asked me to present on there uh, and he approached me after that and I had no idea who he was or how successful he was uh, but he wanted to lose weight case from what I was saying earlier um, and so I had a conversation with him said right this is how we're going to do this because for me I don't think about weight loss I think about just getting your nutrition right and that just takes care of itself yeah. so that's what we did and we did that successfully he did exactly what I asked him to do uh, which was great and I find that the high, like the high performers just want instructions and they'll just carry them out but again he got injured um, made his laugh because he was, he was losing weight to get into his gant jeans and he was going sailing on his boat <laughs> on his holiday and I thought okay so we did that and when he came back he was injured and then he was invited on to a course it was one of Jeff Thompson's course again it was a black belt course and he'd done a little bit of martial arts a little bit of jiu-jitsu and all of a sudden his nutrition went to shit like I said what's going on he said I don't know I said let's get on a call we'll have a conversation and it was then that was sort of going in deeper and deeper and it was the fact that he was sabotaging not like that phrase but just for, for this it makes sense um, he was eating food he shouldn't be eating because subconsciously he felt like he was going to be humiliated by doing this course he didn't feel like it was good enough even though he's a massively successful businessman this he was then we got to the bottom of that and said okay and he told me of a few instances you know in his past when this had happened and that had happened and we talked throughout that through and unraveled that and then he, he went on the course so it's you know there's always things not everyone's aware of what's playing out well it's um it's interesting so i've, I've worked with a um a local rugby club to us and uh, i can probably name them it's gloucester and i did some work with some of the some of the young boys uh who were kind of coming through the club um because obviously with rugby for example it's very physical most yeah. most professional rugby players kind of start in Colts when they're 18 and they're kind of done by the time they're th- you know, 35 to 40. So they have a very short sort of career like most sports people yeah, do. Yeah. Um, but as I was, and, I was I mean, and the reason why I was working with them is because we, um, you know, they, because it's a short career and they don't get paid as much as footballers, well, they have to, have, a lot of them have businesses or side hustles on the go in order to kind yeah. of, so they've got a living to go into, move into when they finish yeah. their career. So, um, but in doing some some work, I spent a day um, working with about a dozen of them, just kind of talking about business ideas and things like that, because they, they wanted to go on this journey. And uh, in between some of the breaks, I was like just having a chat with a couple of them. They'd actually got injured. And um, it was amazing um, how much injury has an impact on people who are highly motivated, very successful human beings, whether it be business, sport or whatever. Yeah. And um, they said the first thing they did when they, whenever they get injured is they, they end up just binge eating. 
Now, the quicker they can get down to McDonald's, the better, because that's what makes them happy, because yeah. they, they shift into this kind of um, almost depressive state where they can't do the thing that they love. Yeah. Um, and But they've been used to kind of pumping the calories in. And so then they, they don't just do the same number of calories. It actually goes up a notch yeah. when they're not yeah. exercising. Yeah. So it, it's really fascinating kind of the, the links between sort of uh, motivation and, and nutrition and what's keeping us active um, yeah. or keeping our brain active as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, I don't understand the science for it. You're probably better placed to kind of um, explain like why that happens. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, again, it's, it's the three areas of the brain. We'll have the thinking part, the logical brain, which is the newest part, which is about reasoning and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then we've got the mammalian brain, which is the part of the limbic system, which is the emotional brain, which has no voice, just has that good instinct. And then we've got the fight or flight response, which is the reptilian brain. We spend most of our time in the final two thirds, the emotional and the, the stressful because of the life we live, you know, or the fact that we are ignoring emotional triggers and we go off. So there's a lot of people who don't spend a lot of time thinking. And when there's any kind of stress or threat, our brain immediately switches off the thinking part of the brain. It doesn't want to think whether we should run from that saber-toothed tiger. Well, shall I run from it? Well, I'm not sure. It just wants to say, right, what did I do the last time to keep yourself safe when I seen that? So that gets switched off immediately and you go and do the thing. Now, in modern life, there's no saber-toothed tigers, but there could be stressful work or injuries or whatever it is inactivity i think it's yeah. the worst yeah. the worst of it you think those yeah. rugby players are out training each and every day and then yeah. I mean, I've, I've noticed it interestingly during i know i mentioned we weren't going to really talk about the crisis but during the crisis yeah. where everybody's been sort of locked at home and and a lot of the the distractions of life as tiring and exhausting and frenetic as it quite often is yeah. now all of a sudden you're at home and all those distractions are gone it's kind of i do yeah. find myself occasionally just wandering around just go and wander across to the fridge or just you know go, yeah yeah or uh you know actually it's okay it's it's four o'clock now i'll go and have a beer instead of you know normally yeah. just chugging my my water throughout the rest yeah. of the day whilst i'm busy working yeah. yeah um so it's really inactivity for me is kind of actually one of the bigger sort of stress creators i think what happens with that is it's it's not it's it is an activity it's the silence it's the fact that we have no longer the things that we distract ourselves from things we do not want to face and so when we haven't got that noise anymore it's like you know i've talked with people who why do you turn the radio on your car? It's just a habit. It's not. It's just you don't, you're uncomfortable with the silence, which yeah. is why you go in a room and turn the TV on. It's the fact that when you're alone, then we have to face the things that we've been avoiding, which is why people... How do we do that? How do, what, what do you... So let, let's say, you know, if everybody were to introduce a period of silence into their life, what do you do with that period of silence? Well, for me, um, meditation is a thing. I actually enforce silence for me is that or actually going out in nature you know, without any electronics and just being with myself. It's like creating space. And yes, thoughts come in all the time. It's almost like this massive influx of things that we didn't want to think about, but we're not our thoughts. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people just automatically think that's who I am, but we're not. These are just random things. Yes, they might have a theme, but we don't have to engage in them. I know Eckhart Tolle has got a great book, The Power of Now, which is all about the observer and just observing the thoughts. But it's, you know, the more you can sit, whether it's meditation, which I see is brain fitness, uh, yeah, brain fitness, mental fitness, that kind of stuff. Everyone's doing the, the physical fitness, but they're not doing the work emotionally and, and mentally, which is why I, I, I help people with that. But it's being able just to, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's, I, it, it is that. My um, my kind of zen time is actually normally out in the water on my surfboard, and I could yes. I could be out yeah. I could be in the water for eight hours in a session once you know, a couple of times out whilst I, I was out in Morocco a few years back, and my mates couldn't understand my patience because they were like wave 
like after wait in out in out in out and they were exhausted after like two or three hours and i stayed out there for like eight hours caught two waves and they're like they were like the two perfect waves and the rest of the time i was just like god thank god i don't have my phone on me i can there's no people around like everything's far away it was so peaceful and relaxing i was quite happy just sat there just bobbing around slowly getting sunburned which probably again isn't very good for me but <laughs> you, know, you, you know you get a picture and it's, it's just glorious yeah. And yes. I, I actually, as a result of kind of um, that experience myself, I kind of encourage my clients to introduce kind of thinking time into their 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 business, not their home life, but their business life. Um, just to, even if it's um, like literally, as you say, no distractions, but um, even just with a notepad and pen, just if something does pop in and it's relevant, do make a note of it because you don't want to forget it, forget about it. Um, but to switch the phone off, go for, you know, whatever it's even for 20 minutes, it, it just cleanses the soul a little bit and you can kind of re-energize yourself, gives you a bit of clarity and focus, and then you can kind of move on. Because it removes those distractions, as you say, and it allows your intuition, allows your inner voice to come out. I'm the same. I always, always, I've always got something to write on or, yeah, I might have my phone, which is on silent. I could record. Um, you know, for me, it's usually when I'm doing some form of physical fitness and I'm at the gym. I've got a whiteboard there, and there's times when I've just got to stop mid-train and, and I'm just scribbling on this whiteboard about I'm going to talk about this today. I'm going to make a video about that, um, and it's just getting it out. Running as well, same thing. That's quite meditative for me. I can run along, and all of a sudden, like thoughts about what I want to write or create, and I think, oh shit, I've got. <laughs> we're trying to remember it, and, you know. I thought, <laughs> um, but you know. Well, I, I always find that this, we're going to wrap up surely. I always find that um, annoyingly the place where I get most of my ideas and it's water related again, but it's in the shower. And that is the most annoying fucking place mm. to get ideas because you can't, yeah. you've got no pen and paper, you're soaking wet, get, get your phone. Bloody <laughs> work, you've got water on the end of your thumb. So it's yeah. just, um, so you just have to kind of lock it in, get it dry quickly. And, and, yeah, yeah, I've done that. I've jumped, I've jumped out of a, I've jumped out of shower once because I had an idea for a book and all the chapters just to pop in my head and I had to jump out of the shower. Try <laughs> <laughs> and write them out. Yeah. So, oh, book. So we're talking about kind of what you're working on at the moment then. So that's, that sounds like that's happening. Yes. Um, I'm, I've started writing a book. I've been meaning to do it for a long time. Um, and so I've committed to doing it. I've worked with a very successful author called Michael Hell, who's wrote Flip It and How to Be Brilliant and all that kind of stuff. Um, very fortunate to do that. And I've decided to get this whole health paradigm. Right? The, book, the working title is called Thrive with an exclamation mark. Um, and it's like a, like a holistic approach to high altitude living. Uh, and so it's looking at, you know, bringing awareness to how you move, how you eat, challenging what you think, allowing yourself to express how you feel. You can, sort of, you can gain self-mastery over your mind, body, and spirit. And, you know, so then you can tackle anything that life stores you. That's the essence of the book. That's kind of the promise of the book. Awesome. Mm -hmm. It sounds brilliant. Um, uh, coach to coach, when's that going to be ready? Um... I would say by the end of the summer. That's, right. that's the aim for me. So we'll we'll look out for that then. So talk to us about your your program and um, how people can get hold of you. Yeah. Um, well, I've got a coaching program called The Lean Warrior, and that's lean, theleanwarrior.com. And that essentially means lean is not about losing weight. It's about finding your essence, getting rid of all the superfluous stuff in your life that doesn't serve you. And warrior literally means having the courage to face yourself. So find your essence, face your adversity. Awesome. Um, and I work, I've got a 12 week program, which is called the warrior within. And that's all about going inside because a lot of people, that's the hardest thing anyone can do. And it's a 12 week program, helping people through that health paradigm as well. And giving them the tools and resources to, you know, to be able to take on life and, you know, deal with anything that comes, comes their way. 
Perfect. So we'll, we will um, make sure that we share links to all of your social media um, channels and also to the, um, cool. the Lean Warrior website as well in the show notes. So uh, hopefully we'll get a few people sort of contacting you through that. Uh, so final question then, Dean. Um, we're going to hop into the Fearless Business Time Machine, uh, Fearless yeah. Podcast Time Machine and go back to, I used to say 10 years, but actually I've, I've started letting people choose when they want to go back to in the past. Yeah. And you're going to have a word with yourself, Dean, from Dean yeah. minus X number of years. Uh, yeah. How many years ago is it and what are you going to say to Dean? 15 years because 10 years is when I actually changed from IT to this uh, I remember there was a moment in IT when um, I suggested my wife to become a personal trainer because she's very physically fit and all that kind of stuff never once occurred to me to do that and it's not to jump and do that but it was to bring the awareness of the training and nutrition earlier say look, yeah. right, stop stop doing that now you're not here for that have the courage to move into this that's what I would do. I like that. Have and, and I think that's what it comes down to is, is about courage, isn't it? And I think yeah, a lot of people kind is. of have these very difficult decisions that they're faced with. And um, having having that blind faith and the courage to kind of follow through with what is a, a harder decision, but it's going to end up with better results. Um, yes. You know, it's. I, I'm sure a lot of people kind of listening to this will definitely kind of um, be feeling that, empathize with that and have experienced that at some point in their life. Yeah. Awesome. Dean, uh, thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been an, a, a real pleasure. Thank um, you. Uh, have you got any sort of parting words of wisdom that you would like to share with our listeners before we wrap things up? For me, it's just have the courage to speak your truth because other than that, we're assuming and it always makes an ass out of you and me. We always get <laughs> a big, big scary monster. You see, it's like once you tell the truth, the 3D monster becomes a two-dimensional cartoon. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dean. We're going to wrap up there. Uh, it's been cool. an awesome episode. Really appreciate your time. Much. My and pleasure. You. And uh, listen, if anybody uh, has got any questions for Dean, you know how to get hold of him. You can hop into the, um, the Charge More group or uh, drop a comment uh, wherever we're sharing this. Uh, I'm sure we'll put you in touch with Dean. He can help you out. Um, uh, that's it for now. Right. We, uh, we, can, we can wrap things up and say goodbye. Say cheerio. Mm-hmm.